Hi, my name is Andrew Chamberlain and I'm a writer and creative writing tutor and you are listening to episode 7 of the Creative Writers Tool Belt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. In this episode, I'm going to have a look at the lessons I've learned from the editors who have looked at my work and given me their feedback. These are commercial editors who I have paid to look at my work, people who, once they've finished with me, will turn and look at submissions for publishers. It might be your submission that they're looking at next, and they'll be on the lookout for the sorts of mistakes that I'm going to be telling you about today as they review the manuscripts that come in front of them. Before I get into the subject, I want to remind you that we are on goodreads.com at the Creative Writers Toolbelt and on Twitter at Writers Toolbelt. So I'm going to give you 10 examples of things to watch out for in your writing today. And these examples are mainly taken from a very recent edit of a short story of mine called Junk Voyage. Just to give you some context, this is a space opera short story in which my protagonist, a space trader called Marlo Kemp, is out celebrating when he gets a call from an old and desperate friend who needs a favour. He wants Marlo to go and collect a new liver for him so that he can have a transplant that he desperately needs. Marlowe agrees to help him out, but things get complicated, and Marlowe has an encounter with the equivalent of the federal law, and that's the supervisors. Now, the fact that this is a space opera is irrelevant for the points I want to make today. All of the problems that I describe can arise in work of any genre. My first example of the kind of issues that editors look out for is the repeated word. Here's a paragraph from the story. The protagonist, Marlowe, has picked up the liver from a clinic and is just about to leave. Dr Fenkel here will escort you through the docking bay area, said Hort. He's explained why you're here. We will try to get you through as quickly as possible, Mr Kemp, but you must understand that we now have a security situation in progress here. This paragraph can be improved immediately by taking out at least one of the instances of the word here. Probably, in fact, the first and third instance. So, at the beginning, this phrase, Dr. Fenkel here will escort you through to the docking bay area, becomes, Dr. Fenkel will escort you through to the docking bay area. And at the end, this phrase, but you must understand that we now have a security situation in progress here, could be, but we have a security situation in progress. Now consider this paragraph. My friend Dolores contacts the supervisors directly using some supervisor technology that I don't have access to. She addresses the CLS supervisors directly and I watch as they play out my fate between them. So in that little paragraph, there are too many directlies and too many uses of the word supervisor. And this lengthy sentence can be cut down to something like this. Dolores contacts the supervisors directly using some technology that I don't have access to. At least I can hear the conversation. So I hope you can see that it's a good idea to look out for and remove repeated words within a sentence and sometimes within a paragraph. And when you do that, you'll sometimes see other opportunities to edit a paragraph even more and take out some of the other bagginess from it. So my second example is the run-on sentence. And I'm a real culprit with this. And my beta readers, so the people that read the manuscript that I'm working on when I've got it into a reasonable state, are often pointing them out to me. And a run-on sentence happens where you take a whole sentence and there's a comma in it somewhere, and that comma really needs to be a full stop or a period. So let me give you a couple of examples. Consider this passage. I hold my hands up. Can't a man have some time off from trading once in a while? Now initially, I didn't have a full stop after the word up. I just had a comma, but really on reflection I needed to have a full stop there. 
Here's another example from one of my other books. So how's your friend, Mr Noonan? Basking in the glory, no doubt. Now, in that little sentence, initially I had a comma after the name Noonan, but on reviewing it, I could see that the best thing to do, in fact, was to have a full stop. The third area that editors look out for is consistency. So I'm talking here about things like using capital letters for some instances of a word and lowercase for others. In my story, for example, there was a, a scene in somewhere called the Terrace Bar. And sometimes I referred to Terrace Bar with a capital T and then a capital B. And others, it was a small t and a small b. In a sense, it doesn't matter so much whether it's capitals or lowercase, so long as you're consistent with it all the way through. I also used a shortening of the word video down to vid, V-I-D. And sometimes I had a full stop after that, and sometimes I didn't. Now again, I needed to be consistent in that. And when you're considering consistency, even names can be tricky. So you need to avoid switching, if you can, between first name and surname for a character, and also between the full name of that character and a nickname. It'll only confuse the reader. And my fourth example I've called Little Details, and this was a good spot by my editor. So if you just consider this sentence, Vern is one of those people who double as friend and pain in the ass. Because the clause Vern is one of those people is singular, the word double should actually be doubles. So the correct sentence is, in fact, Vern is one of those people who doubles as friend and pain in the ass. Now that's a fairly small detail and you could ask the question, well, does it matter? And the answer is, yes, it does, even if you think it's a very minor point. And one of the most important reasons why it matters is that because on this and other little details, the reader sometimes pauses and thinks, even subconsciously pauses and thinks. And because they're doing that, because they're trying to work out whether what you've written is correct or not, they've actually been distracted from the story. You want them immersed in what you're telling them, not worrying about your grammar and punctuation. This next example, the fifth area where there can be issues, again, is one that can be a problem for me. And I've called it what's in your head versus what's on the page. Sometimes as writers, we can see a scene clearly in our heads, but the readers won't know what's in it unless we tell them about it. And this is a bit subjective, but for me, it's always worth thinking about because I can forget that the reader doesn't see everything in the scene. And sometimes I just assume that they know things are there. So, for example, in one scene in my story, my protagonist and another character are in a small room. And in my mind, I had always pictured this room as having a table in it. But I'd realised, when my editor had looked through my work, that I didn't actually mention the table. The editor picked up on this, and the narrative sounded like there were people picking objects up and putting them down in thin air. I assumed that everybody knew there was a table there, but I hadn't told the reader. And sometimes the best way to tackle that kind of problem is to just put your manuscript away for a little while and then come back to it fresh so that you don't have strongly imprinted in your mind the, the visual idea of what the characters are and the scenes are. And you can approach it as if you were the reader yourself and spot anything obvious that you've missed out. The sixth example of things to look out for is related to this and that's continuity. So I want you to listen to this passage from my story. As I turn around to leave with the liver in its box... Another lab technician comes in. I ignore him, and I'm just out of the door when I hear Fenkel speak. Excuse me, who are you? I look back into the room and realise that he's talking to the lab technician, who is in fact my old partner in crime, Alvin Tarsh. Alvin squints a little like he's trying to remember who I am, and I start to get a very bad feeling about this whole situation. Marlowe Kemp, he says to me at last. So what are you doing here? Collecting goods for someone? What about you? Do you know each other? asked Fenkel, frowning. The guy ignores Fenkel and looks straight at me. 
I've come to steal some blanks. Now get your hands in the air, both of you. So here's my problem with this scene, which, to be fair, I have tweaked slightly to make the point that I want to make here. My protagonist, Marlow, has been told to get his hands up in the air, but he's carrying a box which has to be large enough to hold a human liver. And that means it's probably a cube of at least 30 centimetres to each side. So what's he going to do with that? Is he going to put it on the floor? Is he going to balance it on his head? These are the kind of details which you have to make a judgment call in your own mind about as the writer. What you do need to bear in mind is that if the reader is worried about it, they're going to stop being engaged in your story. And because the reader has no idea what's going to happen, has no idea about each scene apart from what we tell them, it's a good idea to use an editor to check these things in our work. So the seventh area where we need to be careful, is what I've called dumb extra words that are not your friends. And this is a sort of variant on telling rather than showing. And again, an example is probably the best way to show it. So consider this sentence. Well, you better go and sort him out. I've got work to do anyway. Now that sentence can become this. You'd better go and sort him out. I've got work to do. So in this case, what I've done is get rid of the word well, which appeared at the beginning of that sentence, because I didn't really need it. And I've also tried getting rid of the word anyway at the end. I certainly think we can get rid of the word well. Probably can get rid of the word anyway as well. Later on in my story, I had this sentence. I continue to look at him, holding his gaze. But once the editor had had a go at it, it became simply, I hold his gaze. Which is right, because in the first iteration of that sentence, I was just saying the same thing twice. So the next area I'm going to talk about has a lot of potential to cause grief, and that is messing with tenses. So if you listen to this paragraph first, the patient maid was the kind of craft that made you get religion again, especially when she was on one of those long spiral descents when the gravity well starts. She hovers on the edge of the well and then she starts to get sucked into the well and usually it sounded like everything was going to get ripped apart. Now there's something wrong with that paragraph. It just sounds slightly off balance and one of the problems with it is that the tenses are all over the place. I'm going to read it again as it is now and see if you can identify where the paragraph flips between past and present tense. The patient maid was the kind of craft that made you get religion again, especially when she was on one of those long spiral descents when the gravity well starts. She hovers on the edge of the well and then she starts to get sucked into the well and usually it sounded like everything was going to get ripped apart. So I looked at that paragraph and tried to work out where the tenses were flipping between past and present and also to see if I could identify anywhere where I could make the editing a little bit tighter and this is what I came up with. The patient maid is the kind of craft that makes you get religion again, especially on those long spiral descents into a gravity well. She hovers on the edge and then she starts to get sucked in and pretty soon it sounds like everything's going to get ripped apart. Now as with a lot of these examples, I'm not saying that the second one is absolutely perfect, but I hope you will think that it's better. And one of the reasons why it's better is because the tenses in it are all consistent. And as with some of the other examples I've given you, tenses are the kind of thing that bothers a reader, even if it's at a subconscious level. And if your reader is spending part of their time wondering about whether what they've read is correct, then you're in danger of losing their attention. And editors can sniff out tense confusion. And when they do, they don't like it. Number nine on my list of examples, show don't tell. And I've talked a lot about showing in the last few podcasts. But here's a little bit of telling that I had in an early iteration of the story. Consider this little phrase. Damn it, I lash out in my confusion. 
Now in that example, in the end, I decided to just get rid of the words in my confusion. So the sentence became, damn it, I lash out. And here's another example. I had this sentence in initially. Pleased to meet you, I say, wondering whether I'm about to throw up the water I've just drunk. When I looked at that sentence with my editor, I realised that I either needed to lose the bit about wanting to throw up the water I'd just drunk, or I needed to actually show that happening. Finally, issue number 10. Cull the clichés. Editors are allergic to clichés. They hate them. So phrases like, dead as a doornail, avoid it like the plague, low-hanging fruit, in the final analysis, think outside the box, but at the end of the day, thick as thieves, all of these sorts of things. If you think it sounds like a cliche, cut it before your editor does. So these are 10 issues that you need to think about and check your work for before it goes out for submission. And just to remind you what they are again, they were 1. The repeated word, 2. The run-on sentence, 3. Be consistent, 4. Little details, 5. What's in your head versus what's on the page, 6. Continuity, 7. Dumb extra words that are not your friends, 8. Consistent tenses, 9. Show don't tell, and 10. Cull the cliches. If you can avoid these things, it will help your manuscript to shine, at least in comparison to the other stuff the harassed editor is reading. I hope you found the podcast helpful. My sources today have been my own self-published short story, Junk Voyage, which is available from most ebook retailers, and also readersdigest.com, who provided some of the cliches. If you want to comment, you can go to Goodreads, that's www.goodreads.com. Look up the Creative Writers Tool Belt. Please leave any comments or suggestions there. Our Twitter account is at Writers Tool Belt. My thanks to the guys at podcastthemes.com for providing the theme music, and thank you to you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.